Hello and welcome to the Dispatched Podcast. It is the Week in Review, 16 December 2022. Hi, Carol. Hi, Paul. Last Week in Review. Last Week in Review. We got there. <laughs> well, almost. <laughs> okay, let's go. Okay, let's discuss the probity advisor. Oh. What is a probity advisor and why has one been appointed to the Health Technology Assessment Review? That's a good question. So a probity Thank advisor <laughs> is... Meant to be an external consultant to what generally involves a procurement process or a commercial negotiation between government and other stakeholders. So they've been a real feature of PBS negotiations, policy negotiations, since a community pharmacy agreement negotiation from about 10 years ago. They are interesting. I have no idea why they've appointed one to the Health Technology Assessment Review. Uh, Let me correct myself. I know exactly why they've appointed one to the Health Technology Assessment Review because it's basically like appointing a second government official. The area responsible for the PBS has used the same probity advisor (laughs) for the last 10 years, and I don't know what a probity advisor would say about the probity of constantly using the same probity advisor. So my cynical view, and cynicism is another word for realistic, is that this is the way the government and – namely its officials, are going to get the outcome from this review that they want. So the probity advisor will note the conversations, observe the conversations. There's nothing commercial about this HTA review. Mm. There's no commercial interest in that room. So why do we need a probity advisor? I think it's, it's, it's a really, really good question. I think the industry and other members of that reference committee should constantly challenge the presence of this probity advisor because I don't know what exactly they're going to be doing. Well, I know exactly what they're going to be doing, which is making sure that the government gets what it wants. So the probity advisor will note the discussions and that will (laughs) become the record of these meetings. And if I was on the reference committee, I'd be demanding to know the the detail of every discussion between officials and the probity advisor between those meetings. Yeah. I'd want to know, I'd want records of those conversations and I'd want to be privy to them because this is how this process is going to be manipulated. There is a way to handle it, and we wrote about that, and I think we've got a question about it later on. So we'll discuss it a little bit further in the podcast. Okay. Some interesting events in New Zealand. Pharmac has been made to look very bad with its botched handling of Trikafta funding um, announcement. What does that say about the agency? Well, I thought Malcolm Mulholland is a patient advocate in New Zealand, and he's really changed the face of patient advocacy in that country and that he's incredibly assertive and he described the CEO Pharmac as just an idiot. <laughs> and and uh, I thought he hit the nail on the head. I think Pharmac have really jumped the shark with their attempt to control this announcement over Trikafta. They lied to another media organisation about the planned Now this is where – and now they've embargoed that. Yes. Yeah, they banned, but they sort of backed down on the ban. Rachel Smalley, who's the, the relevant – is the media person, the radio – broadcaster over there who first uncovered all of this hit the nail on the head and said, it's just an insidious culture in that organization where they can't admit they made a mistake we have organizations like that in australia as well but but they're doubling down and doubling down the, the, the problem is, is she should have just gone on that radio station and said well we made a mistake and we apologize for that and we, we're going to move on and it would have just gone away but the doubling down is just that they look like complete idiots and frankly it's good that this agency has been exposed i was fortunate enough to be interviewed on that radio network a couple of months ago about Pharmac because I think it's every New Zealand health minister going back to goodness knows when claims that they travel around the world and health ministers in other countries say how wonderful Pharmac is 
Am I, that's just an absolute lie. No one wants to replicate Pharmac. It's an inhumane system that, that explicitly prioritises financial outcomes over patient need. We don't want it here. And I called on that on, in the, during that interview for the health minister, Andrew Little. Who? Who are these health ministers around the world who are claiming that they want to mimic Pharmac? Just to tell us who, like, just name one. Just, no, just name one. Once, once enough, and then we'll go and we'll go and check that out. Of course, they can't name one because one doesn't exist. No one wants to replicate what is a what is a sick, sick system that explicitly prioritises financial outcomes over patient need. And and the sad thing about Tricafta, because they operate under this ridiculous cap budget, the funding of Tricafta means that other therapies are not going to be able to be funded. So it's a system that it clearly sets up patients in conflict with each other. Mm. And we're moving towards that a little bit in Australia, but it's just so clear in New Zealand. And kudos to Malcolm and uh, kudos to Graham as well at uh, Medicines New Zealand. They've done a great job in recent years just plugging away, plugging away in, a, in a, what are very difficult circumstances. And it's in the end, it's just going to come down to the political decision to get rid of this agency and start, start again, which, which they absolutely should. We have some questions. We do. Okay, you have reported a lot in recent months on the work in the UK to make medicines and devices access faster and change processes to do it. You noted in the New Frontiers inquiry that the committee never let the NICE NICE officials expand on this work. One, what do you think we need to learn from what's going on in the UK? And two, what do you think allows them to be innovative in this area, i.e. an electric AMG? Whereas Australia keeps tinkering with the same old 1990s process, <laughs> <laughs> I like this, jump-starting their old Honda Civic, which still runs on leaded petrol. Yeah, it's a nice analogy, isn't it? The electric Mercedes AMG against the Honda Civic. It's, to me, it's really, really clear in the UK is that they've just made a decision that they want to promote innovation mm. and they want accelerated access to innovation. It really is as simple as that. They, that, that features in all of their decision-making. They separate the health technology assessment through NICE from the budget decision and we've, we've lost that distinction, that separation over the past 10 or 15 years and I think we see that now w- with outcomes. So to me it's it's simple and it's what we need in Australia. We need a, p- a clear political direction that we want to promote innovation and we want accelerated access. So once a government comes out and says that, it flows through decision-making. So an HTA review is just going to tinker with a lot of those things and mm. adjust processes. But in the absence of clear direction from the government that this is what this process is meant to deliver, we, we are going to end up with new tyres on the Honda Civic rather than the electric <laughs> Mercedes AMG. And it's it really is that simple. I think our system has become lost in a fog, a miasma of process review. All in the absence of clear direction. And this is why people still are missing the point on the National Medicines Policy Review. That is so critical to shaping all of these other things. And that's been lost by this upset, blind obsession with with process. So that's that's my answer, and I think the solution is really, really simple. Clear direction. Hmm. Okay. Why is the the appointment, sorry, of Mark Harrison to the HDA review so important? Do you think the industry and patients should be appointing their own probity advisors to the HTA review? Absolutely. The probity advisor is not independent. They're contracted to the Department of Health. The Department of Health instruct them. They administer the HTA review and the contract and, and the contract with the probity advisor. So they're not independent. They're completely conflicted. 
If I was Medicines Australia and frankly anyone else on that review reference committee, I'd be demanding to know exactly what this person is going to be doing in the room, what what role they have, what is their, I'd like to see the contract, the terms of the contract, why they weren't involved in the evaluation and the appointment of the probity advisor is another really, really significant question. If I was Medicines Australia, I'd just appoint my own probity advisor. Mm. And I think patients should get together and actually do that as well, just to mon- monitor this process to make sure it's transparent and clear. There's, this is no, there's no need for a probity advisor in this review. If this review is commercial to the point that department feels it's appropriate to appoint a probity advisor, then how can the PBAC meet without a probity advisor? How can its subcommittees meet without a probity advisor? How can any company meet with a Department of Health official without a probity advisor? We need probity advisors for every, every aspect of the process if this one requires a probity advisor, which is the word of the day, obviously. But I would certainly suggest that Medicines Australia or even individual companies should appoint their own. It really is as simple as that. Yeah. Any updates on ministerial discretion? Yeah, well, the process has ended, theoretically. But my own view is that negotiation is really just beginning now. So there is still three and a half months until these outcomes are implemented. They've gone through all the companies and everyone's gone through the process, the formal process, but there is absolutely nothing stopping Mark Butler making a completely new decision. Yeah. So to me, the negotiation starts now. So I wouldn't concede anything if I was a company. And I think the industry, you know, we get a lot of talk about people doing negotiation training. They gotta sack these trainers. <laughs> because they are <laughs> they're not good negotiators because they concede everything before they get to the table. They they are only now at the table on those discretion outcomes because they've got three and a half months to get a ministerial intervention for a new decision. So if the industry is unhappy about it, I wouldn't be stopping now. Now, the government and the department have, are very good at just running the clock. They grind you into dust until you just give up. But it's essentially it goes, no, 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 no. Oh, maybe, okay, yes. So we're only, we're only at the end of the nose I would definitely still be fighting because I think it's worth it. If you think it's important and if you can't live with these price reductions, with some companies I know they can't, the process starts now. Even though Minister Butler delegated the decision to an official or to officials, there is nothing stopping the minister taking back their power or even making an entirely new decision. That's That, I think, is the important point, is that the, the negotiation phase actually starts now. Yeah. And you've released more speakers on the conference this week. Why are you broadening the focus away from pharma to other areas? I think there's a lot of alignment and I really want the sectors to look sideways. The pharma sector should be watching the prosthesis list reform very closely and the medical device sector should be looking at the HTA review very closely. They're all interconnected. The the decisions in one of those processes is going to affect other sectors. And diagnostics are in this as well, obviously. I think that's really, really important to remember that these sectors are, from an HTA perspective and policy perspective, are all administered from the one area of the Mm. one agency. So you're all dealing with the same people. You're all dealing with the same issues. So I really want to elevate that discussion and try and get some alignment because I think if there is unity across these areas of therapeutic intervention and technology, the outcomes will be a lot better. There's a shared purpose. And it it is hard because you tend to get sucked down into this sort of vortex of process review. but So on the day, on the 15th of May next year, we, we do have a really good range of speakers, patients, diagnostics, medical device, pharma. We'll be announcing some more in the new year. And we want to elevate that that conversation. So everyone is conscious of, really conscious of what's happening and their opportunity for alignment. So that that is that is the plan. 
The plan. That is the plan. I like it. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. Thank you Thank for you our Paul. weekly Week in Review podcast. We are going to hit pause on this for a few weeks while we take a break. Everyone takes a break. I think we probably will do a year in review podcast next week. That'll be sort of long form. So we'll hit forgive- us up with <laughs> questions for that. Definitely like. send in the questions. We really like getting the questions. They're really good. Thank you for listening to these. The, the, the audience is really, really good and growing and we get some really good feedback. Any feedback is welcome, good, bad or indifferent. <laughs> and anything you'd like us to talk about, please let us know. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Paul.